Welcome to Sectorhead Spotlight. I'm your host, Robert McGrorty. We're about to review the background and process of a hedge sector Sectorhead, as well as discuss some specific key themes pertinent to today's market conditions. If you'd like to learn more about their research, go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Now, let's dive into this episode. Good morning, Hedgeye Nation. Welcome to another episode of Sector Head Spotlight. I've got the one, the only Emily Evans here with me. Uh, and guess what? They can suspend me on Twitter, but they can't get rid of me in real life, baby. Um, I am back, so <laughs> if uh, if uh, they, they're telling me that my my normal followers and all that kind of stuff is supposed to be restored in a, in, a, in an hour or so, but I was suspended last night, Emily. Uh, I got home from dinner and to like 30 text messages and all sorts of different stuff. But hey, in real life, I'm still here. You're there, and we're gonna get the pleasure of talking all things healthcare, health policy. What, mortality, disability, inflation, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so Emily, thank you so very much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you and, and thanks for dialing in from Nashville. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely, me too. Uh, so just uh, for those at home, uh, just as a kind of quick reminder, uh, this is our sixth episode of Sector Head Spotlight. Uh, if you wanna go uh, view the other ones, they're all up on the Hedge ITV YouTube channel. And you know the way that we kind of been doing this, Emily, is is reviewing a bit of uh, each sector head's uh, background, kind of how they kind of came to be and discovered Hedgeye and, and what have you, and then uh, going into a bit of uh, your process slash. I know you're a hair, hair different on the policy side, so I think we'd love to sort of go into um, your your background or expand on your background a little bit more in regards to kind of uh, your your public. Um, you know, your work in the public uh, healthcare space, and then uh, also I know you, you were on the credit side as well. So, um, yeah, and then and then we'll kind of finish with uh, this. This slide is amazing. Uh, just the death. The, you like that, huh? I love that. I love that. Uh, death and vaxes, baby. Anyway, so we'll kind of finish it off with with some with some overview of, of just what what you're seeing in the health policy space. Uh, but with that, Emily, if you don't mind. You know, perhaps a little bit of a background. I mean, we can you can either start with with how how you, how you came to be here at Hedgeye, or or go even further back in time if you wish. Uh, well, let me just kind of highlight my background, which is sure. fairly eclectic, um, and as a result, I think um, uh, people sometimes get something different than what they expect. Um, so I I came to Wall Street out of college um, directly into the credit space, as you mentioned, specifically municipal finance. Uh, municipal finance, of course, is the, the main uh, vehicle that uh, healthcare systems use because the majority of healthcare in America is delivered through nonprofit uh, health systems. Uh, and I worked uh, for a small boutique shop in New York City and spent uh, you know a few years trading, but ultimately that path took me to a large regional broker dealer uh, here in Nashville called JC Bradford. Uh, and I spent about 11 years um, financing all kinds of stuff, but we were known for healthcare financing. So healthcare hospitals, what we call continuing care retirement centers, skilled nursing facilities, uh, and, and so forth. And the firm was, because Nashville is a healthcare town, HCA is based here. And a lot of things have spun out of HCA. The firm itself was fairly well known for its its healthcare uh, financing and, and uh, acumen there. 
uh, we were sold, and so many people on Wall Street will appreciate this, to uh, Payne Weber and then quick succession a flip to UBS. Uh, and I decided to take some time and just figure out what I was going to do. Uh, I got drafted to run for local office, and so I spent nine years in local office. And, and you know, you're a generalist when you're in local office, and by way of that, uh, Nashville local politics is nonpartisan. So, and you don't register as a Democrat or Republican in the state. Uh, we have open primaries, uh, and our local offices are are primarily non nonpartisan, uh, which suits me very well because I'm I'm really not super interested in partisan politics. I, 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 like, I like what works. Uh, and whoever happens to come up with what works, then I'm, 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 your, I'm your friend. Um, but uh, so I did that for nine years. And as I was, you know, leaving office, we, we have term limits here uh, in local government, I, um, I, was, I was ready to kind of spend more time working. And I found Hedgeye through a kind of fortuitous set of events, which we don't need to go into, but um, but uh, I've been here since 2016 and I've been focused still on healthcare, uh, but I get to add to that the elements of politics that I've learned uh, over the years. And I'm unique in the sense that I've actually practiced politics. I don't, um, I don't, I don't, I don't read about it. You know, I, I kind of have lived it. And so, you know, when I see political trends or I see activities, I'm, way to, I'm able to interpret them in ways that, that people who may just, you know, observe politics uh, uh, can do. So, so that gives me a, a fairly unique advantage uh, in this space. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long-and-short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. And tune in live to the call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're spot on there in terms of, I think there's a common thread here at Hedgeyes that we really are uh, nonpartisan. We really don't give a shit unless, until uh, we really just care about, you know, doing the person who's doing the best job, right? And, and you right. know, I know Keith's Canadian. I'm Canadian, uh, now, now a U.S. citizen myself. But, yeah, I mean, I don't really, it doesn't matter to me whether it's uh, Republican or, or Democrat. It's really about... Uh, getting the getting the right 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 person in office in order to to get the job done. So um, yeah, I think I think you you definitely get a little bit of, of heat there going either more liberal or, or 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 more conservative, and that's just not really the case, right, Emily? It's it's well, just, no, yeah. it's not. And 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 what happens typically when that happens is somebody will take one snippet, one one note, or one paragraph, or or one sentence, and they'll extrapolate it into their own personal views, you mm-hmm. know, either as in opposition or in favor. And, and that, that's not, if you read everything I write, you, you, you know, that's not the case. Um, yep. and what I say, uh, I've been as, if it's a, if it's a, if you're behaving incompetently in office <laughs> and there is plenty of that to go around, you know, I'm going to point that out. And there is, and most people don't appreciate this. There actually is such a thing as policy development. 
and developing that in a rational, nonpartisan way. Now, the decisions on what parts of policies to adopt or what, you know, whether to reject this idea and accept that idea, there is a political element to that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but really good policy development is all about presenting options to the principal, which is what po political people call the governor or the mayor or the president, presenting them with options from and the upsides and downsides and, and helping them appreciate, you know, what the consequences of their choices are. You know, we've entered this era in politics and where there is no real policy. It's all politics. And, mm -hmm. and everything is framed through a political lens, which is why you're seeing such gross incompetence, you know, from the government. I mean, you know, that and they're not going to work. Um, but, you know, train derailments happen because things don't get inspected. Um, you know, drugs get approved because... You know, we just want to show that this works. There's myriad of examples uh, along these lines, but that—that's where we are at the at the national level. I'm happy to say we're not altogether there at the state and local levels, but but at the national level, that's where we are. Yes, yeah, so just to expand on that, Emily, wh where would you say like the biggest, I guess, delta is between the more local, which especially on the healthcare side, what's happening or transpiring on on policy on the on the more local side versus what's happening on the federal government side. Well, what's, this is a, a really unique period in time. What we're seeing is, and particularly in the state governments, we're seeing them step into the shoes of the federal government mm. and offer their own policy, their own policies that may run counter to or not in sync with federal government. The most obvious example of that is uh, in Florida, uh, where the Surgeon General, Char uh, Joseph Lebedo, has, has, has said, and he wrote a letter yesterday uh, reiterating that, he's like, we, we have our own data, we're doing our own analysis, and we have concerns about vaccines administered to young people under, you know, under 30, under 40. And because of that, we are recommending against uh, administration of those vaccines. Uh, that is different from what the FDA is saying. So when you're a person living in Florida, you know, you're, or a physician practicing in Florida, you're being asked to turn your attention away from the FDA and the mm. CDC and towards your own Surgeon General. Uh, I don't know of another time that that's happened since, say, the Civil War, mm. um, but that, that's the trend you're seeing. They're taking, governors are taking matters into their own hands. That's fascinating. Yeah, uh, I, I actually didn't realize that that was still ongoing uh, down in Florida and the Surgeon General down yeah. there. Yeah, that's, it, I mean, it was very, you know, headline news, you know, a year plus ago, uh, right, when he, when he came out, but I didn't, I didn't realize that. Well, that and still... people, people are interpreting his actions through the lens of politics. Oh, you're just mm. doing this because, you know, Don, Ron DeSantis is running for governor. Right. Uh, which is kind of, I mean, if you take that line of thinking forward, you know, what you're, what you're really saying is this, this physician, this well-credentialed physician and this governor actually do not care about the health of their constituents. Right. And let me just assure everybody you care about the health of your constituents. If they're dead, they don't vote. And, <laughs> and, and, and you, so, you, so you absolutely do care. Um, but, but that's just, a, you know, for people to think about, that's the, the lens everybody is viewing things through, is not that this governor or this um, this Surgeon General cares about his constituents, but that they're trying to prove a point, you know, to, at a national political level. And hey, maybe they do that. Maybe that's a bonus. Um, 
for them, but, uh, but you know, it's, it represents sound policy for a host of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's probably a good segue into some of your, your, your slides that you shared with me in terms of kind of just what you're seeing out there in, in regards to excess deaths, you know, population changes happening. And, and again, it all influences obviously not only health care, but also health policy. You, you came out with a great, um, I think that was last week, you, you did a great presentation deck on, on Humana. Uh, and sort of the what, what's transpiring there in, in, on on uh, in, in, in that side of, of the, the healthcare world, but um, yeah, I mean, do you want to kind of go into some of the uh, some of the the slides that you presented or that you you shared? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, what, why don't you pull up? Um, let's start at the beginning because the yeah. the, um, the the implications here are not just for healthcare, but actually for all of the American economy and really the global economy and. Uh, Jay Powell, uh, in his really last two appearances, has reiterated that. You know, the street, I think, was maybe it's different today, but in a, in a good bit of denial. But uh, America and other countries as well have suffered uh, through a lot of excess deaths. And this slide shows all excess deaths. Um, and this is, you know, all-cause mortality in 20 through 23, minus the baseline, which is the average 2014 to uh, 2019. And as you can see, we've got a total of 1.9, 1.8 million people, um, you know, or about 50 bips uh, of the U.S. population. It, not not just a massive when you consider there are 330 million people living here, but um, but still a, a, a fairly significant uh, loss of, of population. Uh, the CDC's data is a bit of a mess, uh, which we don't need to go into, um, but but there's another two to five hundred thousand people that uh, I'm having trouble reconciling through the different databases. Uh, so the number one point eight could could be uh, a bit higher. This does include COVID, um, of course, which which killed you know about a million people. Uh, but as you look to the right of the chart, you can see the excess deaths are persistently high, uh, even though we really have seen very very little COVID death here uh, in the in the latter, certainly the latter part of 22 and, and now into, into 23. Uh, less people, of course, means less workers for healthcare, um, which is driven almost entirely by labor. It also means less, less workers for everything else. And this was the point Powell was making, you know, this was a few months ago and he said, you know, 300,000 people died of COVID and that matters. Uh, the number is actually much higher, uh, but it, he's right. It, it, it matters. It has implications for the, the labor force going forward. Barring any change in immigration policy. So where do you are you somewhat? If we're looking out in time, are you expecting that to kind of sort of trough here or like level out? Like what? What's the it, that like a, is unknown. 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 <laughs> unknown. Um, right. You know, we now have three companies, three publicly traded companies, recognizing excess death as imp impacting their operations. Yeah. Uh, Devita was the first in three Q saying. You know, we've seen mortality go up and down with COVID, but now it's just staying there. Stay, huh. it's persistent. And you can see that uh, in, in the data. Mm -hmm. And then we had Humana say, you know, they, they credited to COVID, excess COVID deaths, uh, killed a lot of people with comorbidities, and therefore our benefit costs should go down as a result. And then yesterday, Service Corporation International, which runs huge funeral home business, did something they haven't been doing, uh, which is they recognize the the their performance 
which is correlated to death, obviously. Uh, their performance is a, um, uh, is a result of COVID and excess deaths. In other words, they've now started to separate out uh, what is was a pandemic from what seems to be an ongoing structural issue with the uh, with the health of Americans, and we'll hear more about that. We'll see more about that for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so how 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 do you see that kind of influencing? Like, if we go down to, you know, you've got population change, unemployment. I mean, so so if we kind of expand on that Powell comment you made in regards to his commentary on, on the impact to the labor labor market. Do you mind, like, uh, I think it's, uh, maybe go to slide five, um, uh, Seltz, and, and we can, this is the population yeah, the, change and shifting there. Yeah, th and this is another part of the, the pandemic response be, beyond the, the, the COVID vaccines. You have had, you know, because of the draconian, never before tried interventions, primarily in blue states, not entirely, but definitely primarily, which, happen to have a lot of population, so it's important. Uh, those, those states have been losing population throughout 2021 20, and 22. Uh, and you can see the right-hand map, that is absolute population change, coming out primarily New York and California, who were politically two leaders on the, um, on the interventions like school closures, business closures, et cetera. Uh, and you see where they're going, Texas and, and Florida. And then the uh, slide on the left, that's a uh, change in population. Same deal, Texas, Florida, it looks like South Carolina's benefit. I don't know what they're doing in Idaho, but uh, <laughs> the, base, the base number is small, so that, and that definitely is, is having an impact. But when you take, a, when you, and I compared this in a, uh, at Hedge Eye Regional in, um, in Miami, I compared this to the effects of the, the Black Death in England in the 14th century, uh, which in which you know, inflation and compressed real wages lasted for 50 years. You know, we've got many more modern tools, so 50 years is not likely to be the duration of the effect. But when you have a nurse in, you know, who moves out of Florida and into Texas, that's one less nurse to take care of people in, in Florida, uh, and she finds a job very easily in, in Texas. So inflation pressures in Texas are a little bit lower, and they're a little bit higher in 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 California, uh, and that is a uh, that's a phenomenon that that's probably going to persist uh, because you're, there are other reasons to move to Texas and and Florida and South Carolina and Tennessee and and that's the economics the the tax uh, the tax code yeah. uh, and, and you know they're they're just I'm, I'm biased but you know it's we 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 got to carry on through through most of COVID and, yeah. and it shows in the the local economy. Yeah. And that's, so then if we go, yeah, why don't we just go to the next slide? So why don't we go to six? Because yeah. I think these, these are really important data. So this, this data, is the, this is, and this is the other, the other effect on, so you have mortality, number one. Yeah. Number two, you have migration. And number three, you have, you know, disabled workers. Now, a lot of people have cited this and gone, oh, these people are disabled. The, the federal law changed, so it's easier to get a disability, mm -hmm. uh, often by claiming long COVID, which is a very ill-defined term. And I know that's not, you know, 
make people happy politically if they have a view of that, but but it isn't defined. And and the, the NIH is now struggling or has been struggling to develop a cohort they can study um, and I have a family member in one of those those studies. So so we're, that's why I'm keeping an eye on it. But but you, you had a federal change in federal policy and federal law that allowed more people to take disability, and they did. Uh, and that's a you know another. Uh, many more million people. So we have about 7 million people, you know, versus about um, six and a half before COVID out on disability. A disabled worker generally is subject to a 20 hour a week cap on their work, unless they go to the cash economy, uh, which a lot of people do. And this is taking, this is also taking people out of the workforce. Uh, and the, you know, those three components, how are you going to ever see 2% inflation when you have a, 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 a shortage, a structural shortage of workers, uh, especially if you're the governor of Florida or the governor of, of Tennessee or, or Illinois, which happen to be some of the you know, biggest economic powerhouses in the country. Mm. You know, how are you ever going to get to 2% unemployment? And I, I, would, I would argue that you're, you're not, potentially not in my lifetime. Um, and that makes the, that makes the, the whole picture. So I've been like, you can imagine I've been laughing through the whole pivot thing, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, because this data tells a completely different story, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's, this is structural. And like I said, barring an immigration, uh, a change in policy there, which I would expect, everybody should expect, because it's the only way out. You know, and we saw this in you know, the early, late 19th, early 20th century as the United States was, was industrializing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what did, what did we do? One, we made sure that anybody who was African-American who could get, get out of the South, and the South was, you know, pretty bad about letting people get on trains and get to Chicago. Um, you know, that was, the, that was one route out. And then number two, the, you know, the, um, you know, we had massive, nearly unregulated immigration mm -hmm. uh, until 1921. And, and that was, you know, I'd argue one of the things that made the U.S. a, a industrial powerhouse throughout the 20th century. We have to, we kind of have unregulated immigration now, um, which for those of you who think I'm a Republican, ask me about my immigration policy. <laughs> You'll be surprised. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's, it's, you can't put us in a box, Emily. You can't put us in a box, right? Yeah, you, they Not can. Me. They can try. They can try. But uh, yeah, yeah. So this is again phenomenal. This I love these charts. So running, going back to uh, slide seven, cells on healthcare runs on people, and the dynamics that are happening there. I mean, it all flows together, and it ties beautifully in the, your overall theme and view on on what's transpiring within healthcare. Right, exactly. The you know this is this is the really, really deep, deep quandary healthcare finds itself in, and when you compare, and I always reach for historic, you know, precedents or analogs when when I'm thinking about these things, but uh, which is why it really pays to know history. Um, but if you look at uh, you look at let's say transportation in the late 1970s. Uh, if you're old enough to remember this, um, airlines were highly regulated. Uh, there was, you know, the airline uh, the tra travel agents as a result were highly regulated. 
And the ability, it would have been impossible in 1976 to have Amazon deliver your stuff, FedEx. Mm. You know, it, it just, this wouldn't have happened because there were rules and regulations about who could fly where, how could they fly, you know, all kinds of, of things like that. Uh, that, you know, Jimmy Carter proposed that change. It was taken up by uh, President Reagan, ultimately. And, and you have this incredibly fluid transportation system that, that we have today. Uh, the other example um, is manufacturing. In the 1990s, manufacturing was facing an existential crisis in the U.S. due to globalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you could pay somebody 30 cents a day to make your widgets uh, in, you know, some far off land, that's hard to, you know, it makes it hard to compete. So what happened? You know, manufacturing and also logistics, they turned to mechanization, uh, robots, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, really sophisticated, you know, conveyance systems and 3D printing, uh, you know, it, it, it just remarkable transformation. Uh, what happened? Healthcare has never had to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, healthcare has been a an employment program for the U.S. Barack Obama made a absolutely express decision. All right, we're gonna um, it, when we when you pass the Affordable Care Act, they could have deregulated the hospital business and made it much more less sclerotic than it is today. Mm-hmm. They decided not to do that because we're coming out of the Great Financial Crisis. And what are we? What are we going to? We, we can't lose people in healthcare. Mm. Uh, well, so what you're left with is a system that is crazy uh, dependent on labor, uh, insanely dependent on labor. And I think it, I have a slide in there on the wage rates. Yes, the next I? slide. The next number one? eight. Yeah, this is about the one of the most depressing slides that, that I have. You know, if you look at that line, that is your average hourly wage for a healthcare worker. Uh, in in the United States, it is it's got maybe a fifty basis point less than that slope to it. Yeah. You know, between two thousand and twelve to to the pandemic two thousand and and twenty, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it starts hooking up pretty dramatically, and and now you're you're looking at wage rates. You know, for in some areas, well above thirty percent above where we were pre pandemic. Uh, so getting people back into the workforce is is requiring more dollars. Now, if you look pre-pandemic, you didn't have to pay up to get more workers. Right. You know, you look at look at those that how, the way in which that chart is is deploying more and more people. Yeah. But with absolutely no movement in in the in the wage rates. So those people are coming out of other sectors into healthcare, and now with the prevailing wage, the loss of population, et cetera. You have a uh, workers making greater demands, uh, and they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they're having to they're having to people are having to hospitals are having to pay up, and they've only recently you know realized oh good lord you know this is permanent you know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out how to get get out of this box. Yeah, so so I'm I'm assuming this almost directly impacts their margins, correct? Uh, it does, but or, it's so it's so delayed. You, okay. you're not going to see it yet. Um, and the, the reason for that is the, the the way in which healthcare deals with inflation is by rationing care. Um, the I think most people think, okay, you're sick, you go to the hospital, um, and you get treated. In an emergency situation, that is most definitely true. Mm. Um, in a non-emergency uh, situation, and I'm thinking 
typically a, a behavioral health kind of crisis um, or or something a more of a chronic care crisis, they're they're gonna they're gonna send you home as quickly as they can uh, because you represent low low margin um, and and low margin areas of the hospital that are typically now very much understaffed. Mm. Surgery, you know, crisis management, management of crisis trauma. Those things are, are probably getting taken care of, but but if you're you know a hypertensive diabetic uh, some person with renal disease, you you may be sent home sooner than, than you should. So that's the first response to uh, inflation to inflation in healthcare is is just ratcheting back the throughput that that you typically would have had. You may have admitted that patient three years ago, and today you try you try not to. Uh, and that could be contributing to the excess deaths we're seeing. People aren't getting the care we need. We can see in the data, you know, they're, they're, when they come into inpatient stays, you know, the reasons for inpatient stays have changed um, a good bit since uh, since since pre-pandemic. Um, the other the 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 other way you cope with inflation in healthcare is by asking payers, you know, to pay more, mm. uh, and they are going to have to do that if you're HCA and you have great markets and you have great concentration in those markets. Uh, if you are a community hospital or a middling level uh, system, you you may be on the receiving end of, of payment cuts. The, the advantage, we're going to be in this very sweet place here probably for another year uh, because the insurance companies have padded their reserves during mm. COVID. So in many cases like Humana, the reserves nearly doubled. Mm. Uh, and they can reverse those reserves at their discretion uh, to keep pressure off their networks, keep pressure off of their reimbursement rates. The real challenge is going to come after those those funds are exhausted. Mm. Uh, and after, uh, so probably the, probably 20, mid 2024 would would be a, a place to a, a mark to put in the stand to think about when you might need to change strategy but but right now and this is why you're seeing so much interest in healthcare you know from you know from institutional investors and and kind of a relative overperformance of, of certain subsectors of healthcare is because you know this is there's not going to be a ton of pressure and to put it in hedge eye terms you know we have an inflating environment for healthcare um, you know, we have a growth environment, and through reimbursement, we have kind of a dovish monetary policy, mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to frame it up that way, which I think is what, quad three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that, no, quad two, I'm sorry. No, quad two. And that's yeah, quad, two. Uh, quad two. And, and so that's where we're going to be, you know, for the, the for, for the, at least, I'd say a year, and, and possibly a year and a half. So, you know, <laughs> Katie, bar the door. Like, <laughs> I mean, am I correct in saying this is I mean, certainly in the last decade, quite, quite a different setup inside of healthcare than that we've seen. Uh, yes, in the sense that you know we have a dovish reimbursement policy. Right. Okay. Um, the the government has a formula it uses, and that formula you know takes into account ECI employment cost index, which is a favored labor metric for the Federal Reserve, uh, and it. It, it increases payment in you know with those costs it does it on a lag uh, which is why you see a lot of hospitals complaining you know right now but that lag eventually it catches up with reality and yeah. and you're in pretty good shape the commercial payers you know that they, they need to keep 
major hospital systems in their networks, otherwise they lose members. So, and they sit on a bunch of reserves, so they can, they can, they can pay up if they, if they need to, depending on the, on the market. Uh, and that is, that is definitely different from uh, the last, certainly the post Affordable Care Act era. And, okay. um, it, it, and, and, you know, it, COVID was kind of a, a watershed there. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. And in terms of the like the relationship or, or the quote unquote negotiation that transpires between the uh, insurers and say the big you know hospital networks or, or just kind of you know the health healthcare side of the equation. How, how does that work? Is there a play, like can, can people like kind of track some of this stuff inside of you know 10 10Ks or anything like that? Or, or yeah, well, not really. It's pretty opaque and okay. by design because it is so competitive. Right. Uh, but but generally speaking, what hap- the starting point is the Medicare reimbursement rate. So right. if Medicare has increased rates two and a half percent. Uh, a typical ask would be, you know, plus 100 basis points from a commercial. We expecting the expectation is commercial will pay more than Medicare. The hospitals say we don't make any money on Medicare. We lose on Medicaid. Not really true, but that's what they say. And so we need to make up our margins on uh, on on the commercial. So that's the that's the starting point. And then it depends on the insurance company. You know, if, for example, at Blue Cross Blue Shield nonprofits uh, been in, been able to leverage a, a a posture of anti-competitiveness, which now has to come to an end, uh, have been able to leverage their their very close relationships with their state legislatures. They're a lot more forgiving on price, and a lot more forgiving on on you know a lot of practices. United Health Group that has to report to its shareholders, they're much less forgiving on price. But because they're much less forgiving, they also don't have great networks. Uh, and, and so people tend to, you know, shy away from UNH. UNH is a huge insurance company, but it's it's usually comes in second or third in many of its markets. It's fewer it's first like in many Minnesota, but but it, it it's it's behind the, the blues plans for sure. So your negotiations, you, you know, quite, the things in play are how much market strength does this, in, this provider have? Hmm. You know, Atrium uh, system in Western North Carolina has a ton of muscle. You just, they set the price, you take it for your insurance company. Uh, in much more diverse markets, um, in, in other states, it's going to be a different conversation. And it depends on how what the member flow looks like. If you are an insurance company and you are number one in your state, uh, and you represent a good patient flow, you know you might you might be more you might take their their price. Uh, it, be a little bit more uh, congenial about it anyway. So so there's a it's a there's a ton of factors, and it's hard to say you know one thing or another is going to happen. But generally, I could say through the rest of this year and into next year. The friction that I, per, and this is a change in attitude towards me, of mine, um, the, 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 the pressure because of all this money that is built up in the system isn't quite there, but come 2024, mid-2024, we should see the, the effects and those negotiations are probably going to get tougher. And they, in some ways, they may be tough now, 
um, for things that for, for providers that don't have market stroke, uh, insurance companies that don't have market stroke. But generally speaking, I think we're, we're looking at, you know, a, a year of a year of bliss before the storm, the calm before the storm. It's a great time to, to get caught up and, and really dive into kind of the, the structure, which is an even better reason to. Uh, you know, have you on, 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 on the team as a research uh, you know, sector head. And, and, and if you're on the outside, to, to subscribe to your, to, your, uh, uh, to your sector itself. But um, why don't we finish off, uh, Seltz, if you bring up the macro uh, slide there, the, the, we can kind of run through the last couple of bigger themes that I know Emily uh, would love to, to hit on. And I think it's a, a great way to, to sort of leave people with some bigger picture things to, to be reviewing here in 2023. Yeah, so in healthcare, the labor uh, situation is off the boil. You know, we had fourth quarter of 2021, you know, contract nurses getting paid crazy prices, you know, six, $7,000 a week. Uh, that, has, that has stabilized and actually improved. It doesn't mean it's where it was in 2019, but if you're a hospital administrator, you at least know what, you know, you're day, week, month, or are likely to look at. Um, job openings had declined sequentially, they're, they're back up um, because the, the, you know, the pressure, that, that excess mortality we talked about, that is preceded usually by healthcare and very intense healthcare. So, so that, that it's it, the rub, the, the tension is still there. It's just not quite as insane as, as it was. Um, inflation is making its way, in, as I mentioned, into the payment system, and this is gonna present us with conflicts between providers and, and payments. Um, and it's also going to provide ex upward pressure on PCE when you start thinking about macro trends, you know, and the, and the pivot and the higher for longer and all that. Um, that upward pressure on PCE is, is gonna persist throughout 23 and, and potentially into 24 and maybe even get, you know, worse in late uh, 24. Uh, and that, of course, is the Fed's uh, measure of these things. There's a great article out of the Dallas uh, Fed that I would encourage everybody to read to understand that. And then the last thing is uh, fertility, mortality, and, and utilization. Um, mortality, we've already covered. As I said, this is now getting a, being acknowledged openly uh, by at least three companies, healthcare companies, I think we'll see more of that because we're getting to the point now where, what are you, what are you going to blame this on? Um, you know, there, there, and there have been multiple attempts by the, um, by the CDC to to fix it on something else. There was long COVID, but as I said, we we don't we don't have enough data to know what the role is there. We've got one observational study that isn't worth much. Um, uh, and then, you know, the, the, another story was, oh, it's people get COVID, they have heart attacks, but that was kind of defeated by a Thai study on young men. Um, so so we, it's just, it, well, at some point, and it's, it's happened, it's starting to happen, everybody's going to have to ask, start asking the question, what's going on here? Uh, and I don't think it's entirely, as I said, Miami, I don't, I don't know that you can fix this on vaccines necessarily. It could be that people are waiting nine and 10 months for specialist appointments and, mm. and dying in the meantime, or, or they're not going to the ER because they're still scared of catching COVID. So, so there's a lot of factors there, but nonetheless, it's, a, it's a really a five alarm fire when you look at the, the excess that, that we're coping with right now. 
Um, and you know, fertility is a uh, has been topic of conversation mostly in non-U.S. company uh, countries um, because, first of all, you need excess fertility to replace the excess mortality. Mm -hmm. We're not quite seeing that, um, but where some of the foreign, some uh, Asian countries and European countries are actually seeing significant declines in, in fertility. I uh, mm -hmm. haven't seen that in the U.S. It's not shown up yet. And then, of course, all that adds up to utilization, right? You know, you, if you're if if you're going to die or you're dying, you're going to you seek seek healthcare. So, um, so we we just need to keep an eye on uh, on on fertility mortality needs to be addressed, and utilization will continue to be uh, under under pressure um, throughout 23, and especially in light of the the labor the labor challenges. Fantastic, Emily. I I mean, I'm quasi-speechless because I've learned so much. I'm just, I'm, I'm digesting it all. That excess mortality chart is, is quite alarming. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, cr it's nuts. It's crazy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it is. I'm looking, it's right here. I'm looking at it. It's like, it is, it is crazy. Uh, but again, thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge, your, your uh, wealth of knowledge. And I'm, I'm so grateful. My, my wife loves healthcare, healthcare and healthcare policy. So, you know, at Hedge I Love, you, I, I want to make sure you guys get introduced. Um, and I'll look forward to that. Awesome, awesome. But uh, for everybody at home, uh, thank you for tuning in. If you if you uh, enjoyed what you heard here and want to learn more, uh, please go check out uh, Health Health Policy Unplugged. It's Emily Evans, uh, Sector Pro product. Uh, she is an absolute gem, and uh, really grateful for her taking her time this morning uh, to run us through everything that's transpiring uh, throughout the healthcare space here in the U.S. and globally. Uh, she is a wealth of knowledge, and the fact that we 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 brought in data points from the Civil War to the early 20th century to now COVID. Uh, no, don't quite, don't forget the Black Death. Oh points. yeah, and the Black that's Death. Right. That's right, the Black Death. Oh yeah, we've gone all all across the page here. Uh, thank you, Emily. No, awesome. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, for everybody at home. We will catch you uh, not next week. We're on a little bit of holiday, but the following week uh, we will be back in studio at uh, 1130. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Don't forget to check out HedgeEye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at HedgeEye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by HedgeEye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgehog.com slash terms of service.